Amen. Well, take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 1. We are starting off this new year in uh, the very first chapter of the Bible. So uh, if you didn't, if you don't have a Bible, that is okay. There should be one in the pew in front of you. And uh, it's not hard to find Genesis 1. It's on page 1. So you have the table of contents and everything else, and then the first page that is numbered uh, is page one. That's where we're going to be. And uh, this is actually going to be the first message in a series of talks that is simply entitled, God Is. And we're going to be looking specifically at characteristics, or some of you might identify even as attributes of God, throughout the Bible. And so each week when you come, we're going to focus in on one main passage of Scripture, but understand that many of these you see throughout the entirety of the Bible. And so we'll actually be walking through this for several months now because there was no practical way for me to condense and try to shorten, nor do I think we should, A focus on who God is. And specifically today, we're going to be focusing in Genesis 1. I'm sure based on that introduction, you can surmise for yourself what this is going to be focused on. And it is God as creator. And as I was preparing for this, uh, I found... Uh, an outline or a list that was used by a man named Louis Giglio when he was talking about uh, similar concepts. And it focuses on just some specific realities within our solar system, within the universe we live in, that I found really interesting and a great way for us to consider why this is so such an important attribute of our understanding of who God is. So I'm going to mention just a few of these. The first focal point here is regarding the sun. The sun is 93 million miles away. And if the earth were the side to give, this is what I love about this. It gives it perspective and me being a visual person. That's what I love. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay. So it gives you kind of a spatial recognition, and it's going to use that example of golf balls throughout this. The sun is so big, you could put 960,000 earths inside the sun. Okay? That's enough golf balls to basically fill a school bus in its entirety. Right? Now, it doesn't stop there because the sun is just one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's just our galaxy, the galaxy our solar system is in. And there's another star that is, I'm not even going to try to spell it for you, but it's basically pronounced like Betelgeuse. And it's 427 light years away from us. Or 5,000, sorry, not 5,000, 5.888 trillion miles away from Earth. And the star Betelgeuse is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the Sun. 
If the earth were a golf ball, Beetlejuice would be the size of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. You could fit 252 trillion earths inside Beetlejuice. If the earth were, the, were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill the Superdome 3,000 times. Think about that. Now, it doesn't stop there. There's another star called Mu Cephei, used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. And if the earth were a golf ball, Mu Cephei would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. It is so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. To give you an idea of just how big one quadrillion is, a quadrillion seconds ago would have been 38,800,000 years ago. The largest star science has found thus far is called Canis Majoris. If the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That is enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. But it goes beyond just the solar system. God made you... From one cell from your mom and one cell from your dad. When those came together, a brand new DNA code using four nucleotides began to write out what comes of a three billion character description of who you are. If you took the DNA out of that one little cell that made you and stretched it out, that DNA would be six feet long. Three billion characters stretched out to six feet long. If a person were to read you one DNA character per second, night and day, it would take that person 96 years to just read the description of you. Now, these are all scientific facts that you could find in any secular information center. And as we analyze that, as we use that as a starting point, what I want you to understand is the message this morning is going to be spoken from an assumption that God and only God is creator. And it's important that we make that distinction because that is something that is debated across all kinds of spheres. But that's not going to be the debate we're going to have this morning. And I'm not saying that that is not something that we should be able to talk about. It is. But what I want to, you to understand is this specific talk is going to be focused around the concept that God is the Creator and asking the question, why is that important to us? 
This is further emphasized throughout other scriptures, and I'm just going to read to you four other passages where we see God mentioned or referenced as creator, and then we're going to read in Genesis 1 and look at that from a perspective of asking the question, who is God? But Isaiah 45:18 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Jeremiah chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 say, It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding He has stretched out the heavens When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And then in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 It says, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Now, as we step into this this morning, before we read Genesis 1, I just want to pray for us and pray that this morning would broaden our understanding and our sense of awe at who God is. And that we would be able to set aside even our own human comprehension or seeking to comprehend this on just a human level. And God would open our eyes to see who he's revealed himself to be in his word. Heavenly Father, as we step into this, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that ultimately uh, you would open our ears and our eyes to the text of your word that we might understand further, recognizing that Uh, For us to fully understand who you are seems an impossible task because we are just human. And yet, Lord, we have confidence that your word has revealed everything to us that we need to know about who you are. So may we be diligent in this. May you broaden our understanding. Clear the way, Lord. We trust you and your spirit to do the work amongst us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read... Just this first portion of Genesis uh, 1, and actually um, I'm going to read you the whole chapter because I believe it's important that we get a broad scope of what this says before we start jumping to conclusions. And so I hope you will follow along with me either in your own Bible or in one provided as we walk through this, starting in verse 1. Of Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Praise God for his word. Amen. So what I want us to do this morning 
is we're going to break this up into two parts. The first one is we're going to identify three specific observations about God from Genesis chapter 1. Three specific observations about God. And then we're going to make some application observations from that as it pertains to our own walk of faith. The first observation about God that I hope you can see very clearly in the reading through this chapter is that God commanded and it was. Over and over and over again, Genesis 1 reveals that God said what he wanted to be and it became to be. And in fact, what I would challenge you with, if you mark in your Bibles, you could go through and you could box every time it says, God said. Because this wasn't just a, a fluke act that God made appear, but specifically spoke these things into existence. There was no question, according to Genesis 1, that God was doing this intentionally and actively. He envisioned, He spoke, and it was. He said, let there be light, and what do you know? There was light. He said, let the waters be separated, and what do you know? They were separated. He didn't have to speak multiple times. He didn't have to clarify what he meant. He spoke, and it was. The second observation we can see in Genesis chapter 1 is the order and structure in which he created. Recognize here that God doesn't create the fish and all of a sudden go, oh no, they need water. He also doesn't create the animals and go, oh man, we have all this water, but the animals are drowning. I should probably create some land. It's ordered and structured such that everything functions exactly as he needed it to. He didn't have to go back and readjust or rechange because, oh, I didn't think of that. Now, for a second, step back and consider if it had been you or I speaking creation into existence. I guarantee you we would have screwed something up. And instead, what you see in Genesis 1 is you see God speaking and it happening, but He's not just speaking in random. It's structured, it's ordered, and you can follow that all the way through in every point of His creation. The third thing we can recognize or observe here about God is that God saw what He'd created as good. And like if you boxed what God said, I also encourage you to underline every place that it says, and God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. Now, something interesting here is we have a warped idea of what the word good means in a lot of senses. Because in the same breath, we can say that mom's meatloaf is good and God is also good. You see the problem here? 
So often our idea of what is good is rooted in our own emotions, our own feelings. And just as quickly as something can be good, it can become bad, right? And yet, in Hebrew, this word tov, if you want to write it in English, it's T-O-V, tov. God saw that it was good in that everything he created was functioning according to what he'd purposed it to do. That is, when God saw what he created, he saw that it was fulfilling the purpose for which he'd created it to do. And he said, it's good. And so in the midst of even our understanding of what it looks like for God to say, it's good, I want you to seek to kind of bypass your own comprehension of what you identify as good. Because I don't want you comparing the awesome wonder of who God is to your mom's meatloaf, okay? And your mom's meatloaf may be really, really good. I'm not disputing that, okay? But we shouldn't put mom's meatloaf and the creator of the universe on the same playing field. Amen? (laughs) God saw his creation as good. Now, those three observations are really important if we're seeking to understand who is this God of the Bible? And why does it matter if I see God as creator? And so here's what I want us to gather in the rest of our time as we think about How am I supposed to apply this knowledge that God is creator? In Genesis 1, I I see that it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I see throughout Scripture that God is recognized as the creator of all things. But how does that impact me? How should that impact me and my life? The first application observation I want us to gather is the God of the Bible has the ability to speak his will into existence. Do I trust him? Do I trust his will? Do I trust that this God in Genesis 1 is the same God that I serve today, right here and right now? And if so, do I trust fully in His will? Now, how easy is it, church, for us to say that we trust His will and yet deep down inside we really don't? And I was reminded as I was thinking through these things and wrestling with this on my own of a conversation I had with a dear brother in Christ just just in the last couple of weeks on the vast difference between belief and trust. And oftentimes we confuse the two or merge the two and we have belief. Yes, I believe in God. I believe that He is this entity. But when confronted with the reality or the question, do I trust Him? The difference is in our action, isn't it? Now, to further illustrate this, I, I remember reading the story. I've got to make sure I get this guy's name right. Charles Blondin. Does, that, does anyone know that name? See, it's interesting. 
in, in, the, in about 1860, in the 1860s, this guy became the first individual to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. Okay? And he did it multiple times. And this is what the historical accounts say. That he would go over one time, then he'd go over backwards, he'd go over blindfolded. You can look this all up and see people have pictures. They report at one time he carried a camera out onto the line and stood there and snapped a picture of the people watching on the other side. And one of the, one of the talked about examples of something he did was that he walked across with a wheelbarrow. And he asked the people when he got to the other side, uh, how many of you think that I could put someone in the wheelbarrow and walk across? And of course, people had seen him walk across multiple times. And so everyone said, yes, we, we believe that you can do this. We, we have no doubt. And you, you could probably gather where this is going. He asked the question, okay, who's going to get in? No, no one responded. No one got in. Now, that being said, this guy had a couple times that I read about, and you could do your research on this as well, that he carried people across with him as he went. But I want you to gather that you can watch someone do something like that and believe, yeah, I'm standing here, I'm, I'm on the sidelines, I'm cheering you on, and I believe you can do it. But trust is when I take a leap of faith and I say, you know what, I, I believe you can do this so much so that I'll sit in the wheelbarrow and go across with you. If God indeed can speak His will into existence, and it happens, do I trust His will? Or do I just believe that that's what He can do? But God, you know what, I, I'll, I'll kind of stay in my security zone here. The second thing that I want us to consider is the God of the Bible operates with order and structure. Will I abide in Him? Will I abide in Him? Now, this concept of abiding is really remaining or staying. It's this idea that I'm, I'm adhered and I'm not going anywhere. I'm going I'm to choose to abide somewhere. To dwell there. And I brought this little piece of plant. I think while I was carrying this around this morning, people were giving me weird looks. I think they thought it was like some lucky charm or something. It's my prop. I like props. How many of you, do, do you think any of you here would be able to come up here and produce fruit off of this vine right now? Any takers? And I'm not talking, some of you are really artsy and you could probably turn this into something that looks like a piece of fruit. That is not me. I cannot do that. But to actually produce real fruit, and some of you are going to argue, that's not a fruit producing plant. I know. Just roll with me, okay? Imagine it is. Imagine it is a fruit producing plant. Use your imagination. Would you be able to produce anything? No, absolutely not. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You can make as many faces as you want. Come on. 
it's not going to happen. Why? Well, frankly, there's no hope for this vine to produce anything more because it's disconnected from its root system. Now, some of these, again, you gardeners out there are going, you could stick ivy like this in the ground and it'll grow. I get it. Imagine that's not the case. This is the best plant I could find in January. Okay? I grew up on a farm. I know. I know. There's many faults in me using this as the example. But if this was a fruit-producing element and you removed it from its life source, it's not going to produce anything. In the same way God is ordered and structured about how things are to be, and if I choose to remove myself from that life-giving root, thriving source, and expect to produce fruit of eternal benefit, I'm fooling myself. I'm fooling myself. If I believe that the very foundation of the world in all of its structure and all of its order was created by one source and I have the opportunity to abide, to remain, to attach myself to that source, wouldn't I want to remain there? Now many of us don't like the application in the previous mention that God can speak His will into existence because we look at that selfishly. And whatever we're facing right now, whatever trial, whatever hardship, we go, yeah, but Genesis 1 reveals that if God, if God wanted me better, He could say the word and it would happen. And so we don't like that application. And yet, in the midst of all of this, we ultimately determine that it is, when we say that, we determine that it is our order and our structure that is what is best. That it is my own perspective, God, that has to be your will in the midst of this. Now, I cannot stand here and give you a reason or an answer for whatever you are enduring right now. Because I'm not God. I can't predict what the future holds for myself or any of us. And many of you have faced things in the last year that no one could have predicted you would face. And I, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you this is exactly what God's trying to do in the midst of this because I don't know. And I can speak to so many instances in my own life where I, I said, God, I, I don't understand what you are doing here. Two years ago, when my family and I sold our house and moved across the country, not having another job, not knowing where we were going to live, trust me, there were many times on that four-day trip across the country that I prayed, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't like it. It is taking me out of my comfort zone and my security. But I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to take action, just trust. And God has been faithful. In no way has it been according to my plan or my purposes or even what I imagined or thought. 
but he's been faithful. And I can tell you from Scripture that the God who created the world, who knows what the future holds for you, is present. And he's working. But that doesn't mean the future is going to look like what you want it to. Will you abide in Him? 1 John chapter 3 says, And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that, that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So I want to challenge you in that. When your marriage is falling apart and it seems there's no hope at all, choose to abide in Christ. Think about my pathetic looking plant and say this needs to be reattached to its life-giving source. When that bill comes in the mail and you have no idea how you're going to pay it, choose to abide in Christ. Choose to root yourself into that life-giving source. When you lose someone that's very close to you unexpectedly and you're questioning, why God? Why? Choose to abide in Christ. Make that choice. When you face mental illness or health trials or challenges day after day and you're wondering in the midst of that darkness, where is God at in this? Strive with everything you are to abide in Christ, knowing that He's not expecting you to be perfect. He's just longing for you to be like His Son. To choose to abide in Christ. No matter the situation, I have a choice as to whether I'm going to abide in Creator God or rely on myself. The third and final application observation here goes all the way into the entirety of, of God's Word. And it's that the God of the Bible is going to redeem that which He created and said, it is good. Do you long to be redeemed? Do you long to be redeemed? Romans 8 reminds us that creation is groaning, is longing for renewal, for freedom from the curse of sin. And if you continue reading on into Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you'll understand why they're groaning and longing for redemption. And it, Romans 8 goes on and says, not only creation, but we ourselves long for the adoption as sons, for that to be finalized and for us to be in eternity where we don't deal with the pain and the struggle that we deal with here. Understand, church, that God could have very easily chosen to just discard us the moment we chose to sin against Him. He could have started over and said, No, this has not panned out the way I intended it to. I'm going to start over because it's going to be easier. Rather, He chose to take that which is sinful 
and reveal his faithfulness. You see that in his relationship with the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. They turned away from God and God remained faithful, not without consequences to the people. But God remained faithful. And God has promised to remain faithful to redeem His creation, to redeem those who claim the name of Christ. Who believe that God sent Jesus because we needed redeemed. Do you long to be redeemed? Do you long to be made new? So some final thoughts as we close today. When it seems that the world around me is crumbling, I can rest in the truth that God is the Creator, and that is a good thing. It's a good thing because I don't have to have the future figured out in order to abide in Him today. It's a good thing because no matter how chaotic it gets from my perspective, God's order, structure, and control remains stable. It's a good thing because the same God who said, it is good, has given us the good shepherd as atonement for our wrongdoing. Choose to trust. Strive to abide and daily seek to become more like Jesus, church. Amen? The worship team is going to come and let's stand together as we pray. Father, this is challenging as we consider You as Creator and what that means for our lives. And Lord, I pray specifically today for those present, those listening to this message who are just burdened by trial and burdened by unknowns, God, that You would reveal Yourself to them from Your Word specifically today. That they would hear those truths that you are in control, that you are ordered and structured, that you know what the future holds and are walking with them, and that you know what you're doing. God, we pray that you would give us the trust to not just say we believe, to not just say we trust, but to take a step of faith, to get in the wheelbarrow, to step out from where we are right now, in a way that says, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're in control of this. Father, that you would bring the person here who's just wrestling with the question, is, is there a God, that you would bring them to a place where you reveal yourselves to them, that you might be glorified. That they might be a powerful testimony of your faithfulness regardless of what their past has been, regardless of what they're experiencing today, that, Lord, You would move in a way that shows Yourself, Your faithfulness, Your promises, and Your constants. And, Lord, as we go from here today, may we go with a renewed sense of purpose, may we go with a renewed sense of who You are, just even from this one chapter in the entirety of what You've revealed to us that you would be glorified above everything else that takes place in Jesus' name. Amen.